0: Welcome, 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 Water Coolians. I'm still on the search to find the right name to call our little family here, so if you guys have any suggestions, please feel free to message us. Uh, but anyways, to today's episode, we are graciously rejoined for a second time by Angie Krause. Uh, you can find the link to her first episode, Plastic Bag Rage, in the description of this episode on our Podbean page. It was an absolute pleasure to have Angie back in the studio. As many of you may not know, myself and Angie have been roommates for almost coming on a year yeah about a year uh and we always have good conversations around the house but whenever you get into the studio in front of a few mics that conversation always seems to become a bit more even you know when i've had friends on the podcast we have good conversations outside of this room but when you get into this room it's like Holy crap, that's a completely different way, or you've shown me a completely different way to look at a situation. And I think this was, this episode in general was another example of that on my mind was completely opened up to another way, another perspective of looking at a situation. But for this episode, we had the chance to really sit down and discuss some issues going on in the world. They focus on uh, vanity and judging culture. We were able to have an amazing conversation about philosophy and the meaning of life. And then for our third story, we took a potentially awkward conversation about post-mortem sperm retrieval and created this productive discussion about reproductive autonomy and legacy and our rights as humans, even in death. And then at the very end, we had such a poignant and real talk about death and how we view our own deaths which i think was such an amazing end to the entire idea of what this episode is about and what it could mean to you as the listener so anyways angie was excited about jumping right in so without further ado ladies and gentlemen this is water cooler talk episode 23 simply titled life enjoy this is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world and while many of these stories may seem fake They're absolutely not Because they're real all right, Angie, are you ready to jump into our very first news story of the day? I am ready. This is from Boston, 25 News, U.S. Two clients of a spa that offered vampire facials diagnosed with HIV. According to the New Mexico Department of Health, two former clients of an Albuquerque spa have contracted the same strain of HIV in parts to a beauty trend called vampire facials, in which plasma is extracted from the client's blood and then injected back into the face, which promotes the healthy activity of skin cells. Ava Shamban, a Beverly Hills dermatologist states, The treatment is a combination of abrasions followed by the application of PRP, which is platelet-rich plasma, which is derived from the serum portion of the blood and contains high levels of growth factors, which, when applied to the skin, will stimulate cell turnover. The Department of Health states the esthetician running the Albuquerque spa was prone to using unsafe practices that could spread infections like HIV, hepatitis B, and or C, with many claiming use of unsterile equipment to being a potential culprit. Angie I don't know if you did any research into vampire facials or PRP but I was able to find that it's actually like a very very positive treatment that somehow has a very negative stigma around it Uh, it can be helpful specifically PRP can be helpful in treating early stages of osteoarthritis of the knee and then it's also stated in the Journal of Cosmetic Dermatology volume 17 issue 1 we get a subscription here at the house PRP injections can be regarded as an alternative for the treatment of female pattern hair loss with minimal morbidity and a low-cost To benefit ratio. So, really, this is not an unsafe thing the way this story makes it seem like, oh, well, I'm gonna get HIV if I do this vampire facial because you're injecting your own blood back into you. That's the thing I think that needs to be made very clear here. The people, the esthetician, will take out your own blood and then from, I don't know where probably your arm or something i'm not a doctor Um, but anyways they'll take out your own blood put it back into your face so it's your own blood i feel like the fact that this albuquerque thing had rumors of not being unsafe they probably misused needles reused needles probably didn't properly sanitize everything so that's why i think where these ladies got hiv from not from the actual treatment but from the facility
1: you're correct in that because when i read the news story It was specifically talking about the sanitary issue, that the tools were not used properly, similar to like a nail salon. You know, you can easily get diseases that way from a pedicure and a manicure.
0: Yeah, I read one story that a woman got HIV from a pedicure. Pedicure? Manicure? Manicure which one is, the one manicure. The, is which your the hands, hands? Manicure is and a just manicure. for men. Okay. I'm kidding,
1: Adam. It's not <laughs> just for men, it's for your hands. And then pedicure is for your feet. And I'll tell you what, I know firsthand that actually somebody died that I know from an infection, from getting a pedicure. Really? Yes. I went back to my elementary school a couple of summers ago to see one of my favorite teachers. And then I ran into another favorite teacher, and I asked them about another favorite teacher who was my fifth grade teacher, which is a really pivotal year for me. That's when my mom died. And it was Mr. Haas. He actually was training for, I believe, a walk a So he was one of those wall- mall walkers. Excuse mall me. Walkers, I got, I got okay. tangled up on my words there. And
0: Once you hit 65, people know what you're talking about.
1: I'm not 65. No,
0: once like a listener <laughs> would list, like reach 65, they'd be like, I get it. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Right away, about. yes. It's a very exactly. popular thing among the older crops. Especially
1: in winters in Minnesota when you cannot get outside to walk as yeah. openly. But apparently he was walking, and then he got a pedicure, and there was an infection and he died. So who would ever, number one, who would ever think that could ever have happened? But Mm -hmm. it did.
0: Yeah, that's like something else. Yeah, it's one of those things where, and we'll talk about a story later on, the third story of just like, just doing your life and then it ends and you're kind of just like, wow, wasn't expecting that one. Is
1: that how I was gonna go? Especially, it's interesting because it's a male. The other point you brought up that's very interesting. So one of my very close friends, who is also a client, is Dr. Denise Holler, And perhaps she will chime in in our comment section after on social media. But I know that she's a proponent of the vampire facial. And I'm not exactly sure what our, her specific reasoning is. But I do know that the medical practice that she believes in is, you know, kind of like cures you like. She's a naturopathic doctor. So you're utilizing your own cells and plasma within your own body to cure yourself so i don't think there is anything inherently wrong with that to me the story definitely brings up a lot of different points which come to safety vanity when
0: i think even talking like yeah i think researching it it seems like a very beneficial thing but i feel like there's this negative stigma created around it the fact that it's name a vampire facial Like, vampires are usually villains in movies, so that's a negative connotation there. And then it became popular because Kim Kardashian promoted it in 2013, and I feel like anything that Kardashians promote is instantly just a negative reaction from people on social media because, for some reason, people hate the Kardashians, just because I think they probably hate them because of their success. But anyways, this thing, PRP, um, and I know a lot of people in the comments who are, like, more... Doctoral, and maybe your friend will say that as well. This is what they call it. They call it PRP treatment instead of the vampire facial because it is a negative stigma around vampire facial. And then obviously when these stories get spread to social media, people are like, oh, shoot, I don't want to get this because I don't want to get HIV. And
1: I think that's very true, and I think people often are just, we talked about this in the last interview in the podcast, people just often read the headlines, and they are quick to share information that's not necessarily thoroughly researched to find out. The other issue I think that's really relevant that you mentioned with the Kardashians is, or any influencer, what's always interesting to me, Adam, is why we as humans feel like we have this need to have any opinion on somebody's looks. That's always so interesting to me. You know, I work so much with non-judgment and of course I'm human, so I have to look at my own judgments myself. But if you even look at, you know there's sites the people of Walmart for example and people will just make fun of people and how they're dressed in Walmart I don't understand that I don't get that I feel that's very mean spirited and I also feel like people are always looking to be seen and heard in this world that's something that we always are looking for validation for and with Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and all these new media platforms that are out there to me I always look for what is the intention why are people posting vanity pictures and then why are people commenting the way they are? I'm not, I'm just curious. I don't have an opinion on it one way or the other because, again, that would be me judging. But I do feel in my observations, a lot of times women in particular are posting photos to be validated for their looks. And I don't feel it's because they're coming from a place of, hey, I feel really good about myself. I did this vampire facial, but I am looking to see what you think about it for me. Do you look at, do I look good? I think there's a, you know, a difference in vanity scales for where does it end? Is it, what do you feel about pedicures compared to getting your hair done, compared to Botox, compared to, plastic surgery what's who's to say what is extreme or not extreme and as long as it makes you feel good about yourself it's your body Mm -hmm. it's your choice to do what you want i
0: I think that's a very good point on the fact that it is your body and it is if you want to look a certain way that's totally fine like there's people who like there's one guy that got a bunch of surgery to look like a ken doll and that's totally fine if he wants to look that way I mean, going back to what you originally said on not judging people, like, I've definitely judged people on their looks here, even mentioned it on the podcast. That's just, like, a very normal part of human behavior, to look at other people and say, how am I compared to you? Am I better than you? am i not as good as you that's why we look up to idols like we say i idolize this person because they have all these different things that i want and then sometimes yeah you i i think most people when they judge people they don't mean to do it out of nastiness but just the fact that hey maybe i need a pick me up and that's just an easy grab. Growing up, American Idol was the biggest show in the world for like 14 million people would listen or watch it on the daily. And that whole premise of that, like first few weeks of the show was making fun of people who couldn't sing. And that was drilled into us at a very like young age for my generation and maybe the generations after me and before me and kind of in the same age group, but of judging people. And then social media came and was like, hey, here's A huge platform to judge people and you get to that point on are people doing vanity for themselves or for gratification from another person and I feel like social media is the perfect place to say where do you stand on that where I think most influencers are doing these changes to get some sort of satisfaction from their audience. I
1: agree with you, what you're saying. And I feel in my observations of particularly, let's take Instagram, because that's the most visual of all of the social media out there. What I do see happening is I believe, and this is just my personal belief, that we help shape the future for the better and the generations below. And reading this article really got me thinking. So I did some more research, you know, to see how is Instagram affecting young girls, young boys? And what I found was that children as young as seven believe they are valued more for their physical appearance and their character. And I feel like that is where we as the elder generations before, have a beautiful opportunity to step up and go, it doesn't have to be that way. You shared an interesting point going, this is how society is, and this is how human behavior is. It's interesting, Adam, because I don't innately ever feel that way. I I don't ever understand why we choose to go for looks. And of course I've done that, and I was raised to do that, but I don't believe we are born to judge. I believe we learn to judge. And I also think as a society, we shape what we're going to decide as our collective consciousness. So for example, I remember one time I was reading a magazine. So in my generation, which is generation X, it's when cosmopolitan glamour, all those kind of magazines were out, which would be similar to what your generation has embraced Instagram as. I remember looking at these beautiful women comparing myself as a young woman. And it w- and they were everywhere. And then the ad campaigns and I was in the advertising agency, so you would I see how people could compare. There was a magazine, and it was called First for Women. I believe it's still out. And they had a section that was very similar to what some of the other magazines, like People Who Wore It Better, which I think is very personally detrimental to women anytime you're comparing she wore it better than her and why and because why are we even putting that out there so i reached out to first for women because the rest of their magazine was actually quite positive at the time and i was probably 24 at the time and i said hey i really like your magazine and i really want to understand why you feel the need to include this because it's not empowering women they wrote me a very thoughtful letter back and they stopped that section really Absolutely. So again, being in advertising on the other side, we as consumers decide what companies are going to produce. It's not the other way around. We are the ones that get to tell the market what we choose to support. Instagram is a brand. We as a society mostly are saying, hey, it's okay to judge people on looks. And I think it's very sad that these young girls and I'm young boys are now judging themselves so harshly upon their looks. I found another study that said a government funded study that said that most I forget what the percentage was, but it was a quarter of girls exhibit symptoms of depression by age 14 which I feel is definitely correlated to that same issue.
0: And the interesting thing about the social media deba- debates is it's become a place where if you are an attractive person, life will be so much easier for you. And I think social media blows that out of the water, like even going back to the start of the world attraction has set you forward in life. You know, your attractive level and who your family are are the two and the color of your skin now are the two are the three biggest things that will set you ahead in life above everyone else. So I think, you know, when we get back to these vampire facials, people just want to feel attractive. And that's just the basis of everything. Like insecurities, many insecurities are born from the fact that you don't feel attractive in yourself. And like insecurities in relationships at work all kind of stem from how you feel about yourself and your outward appearance from yourself. And a lot of times, it's more of your inward appearance that, you know, dealing with how you handle the world, how you see the world, we'll talk about philosophy later, and just that, but a lot of people think it's a lot easier just to be like, well, I'm an ugly person, so that's where all my problems stem from. When really, there's probably a whole host of things, but the world tells you that if you're not an attractive person, life will be much harder for you. And I wanna ask you this question, Angie, kind of with these vampire facials with these facilities that are often maybe not up to board you have you know you've heard of all these horror shop for like tattoos all these bad botox story all these bad like surgery stories from people who want that or want to increase their vanity but don't want to spend the time doing it like we work out together but a lot of people choose to do surgery because it's easier why do you think people often and not everyone, I don't want to say everyone, but some people will often choose the cheaper and easier route to increase their vanity.
1: Again, I personally think it comes back to intention. Why are you choosing to do something? That's what always is very interesting to me, is are you choosing to do this procedure for yourself, whether it is breast enhancement for men or women, because that's you know a thing as well. Again, I don't believe it's my choice to say even what's if somebody's intention is right or wrong. However, I can see how it affects our world. I feel that a lot of people place so much pressure on themselves about the physical that they are not doing it to feel better about themselves. They're doing it because they are not feeling seen or heard in their life, and they want to be validated back. And that brings me to another interesting point I found while researching this story is, Adam, have you heard about praising groups? I have not, no. I had not either. Apparently, this is a new social media norm that is coming to be. You can hire people, pay people to praise you on social media. And what that might look like is, Adam, you're doing awesome in your job. Your mind is so brilliant. Or, wow, your face looks amazing, what kind of a cleanser are you using? And it goes on and on. Apparently, this trend was started in reaction to curse groups. Have you heard of those? I have not, no. I have not either. And that is where people go online and they just fling insults at each other. And it was also apparently started to counteract all the hate on social media. I started thinking about that. How is that so much different except for the exchange of money from what people are posting as comments already on Facebook or Instagram to Kim Kardashian? Kim, I love your hair. You're so pretty. What's the intention of the poster?
0: Exactly. That's what I was thinking when you were saying that. It's like, Basically, I saw it as that group monetized kindness. If they wanted to actually share kind posts and kind comments to people, they would do it for free. But they figured out a way to say, We can monetize this. We can make money and it becomes a job. So it's not if I say, hey, Angie, that's a very nice hat you're wearing. I'm also getting paid five bucks to say that. Do I actually mean it when I'm saying it?
1: Well, that's that's a million dollar question. And does it matter if you mean it or not? You know, if we're talking about if people want to be seen and heard in this world, that's the bigger issue. That's the issue we got to look at is why are people not being seen and heard in this world? And I think that's why people are being so crazily outspoken on social media to being heard it's a it's a very interesting dichotomy adam i don't have the answer for it do i think it's healthy no do i feel like we have influence on how we shape things absolutely the brands are not in charge of our decisions we are 100 percent. but somehow we have given that to them even the american idol story that you mentioned you know nobody said hey let's make fun of these singers I think when you're a great leader you lead with heart and you lead with soul that's how I like to lead and I of course am human so I have judged myself and others because of their looks in the past too I think the key how we get better is being really conscious of why do we even feel the need when you see a woman oh wow you look like you've lost weight isn't that a weird I think that's a very weird thing we do as humans
0: well I think it all breaks down to as a human obviously you see the world as you're the main character and everyone else is just the side characters that are supposed to help you through life and help you through any situation that may arise so you don't always understand the implications of saying to a side character hey you know you've lost weight you look good and what that implies or saying going up to a woman that may be pregnant and saying oh are you pregnant and then it turns mm-hmm. out she's not pregnant yeah and I think since you're always the main character in your story you don't always think of the implications that that person is the main person or the main character of their story and you're a side character that's coming up to them and potentially insulting them in a way
1: well said I don't think most people delve that deep like even as we're diving into this right now we just unfortunately I don't think they do And
0: it's okay like not to say that you don't have to dive deep into every situation that you come across in the world it'll be awesome if you could but people don't always have the time but yeah it's just being aware that like we talked about the judging like yeah I've judged people I probably will still do it just not even thinking about it but the fact that when I do it now I'm actively aware of it I'll be like why did I do that like kind of why did I feel like that was okay and I kind of break down kind of do a self-assessment of did it help. It didn't help anyone. It made me feel a little bit better, but I potentially made someone feel bad about themselves. And is that worth it? And I think that's the important thing on when you do things in the world and when you say things in the world to other people, you have to realize, is this worth it? Is this benefiting both people? Like you talk about win-win, part- win-win partnerships a lot and win-win agreements. Are both people in this situation coming out the better? And if not, maybe you have to take a step back and look at it and be like, how can I improve this situation?
1: What's also interesting, if we look at it from just an energy standpoint, because that's what I work with in my career, what you will notice, 100% guaranteed, and give this a try because it works every time, is if you are saying very hurtful things to yourself internally, for example, like, oh, I look so fat, my butt is getting big, and oh, look at my face and my wrinkles, and you're just affirming to yourself and your cells in your body, which we are made up of water, which is a huge energy conductor. Your brain is mostly made up of water. And again, this isn't woo-woo stuff. This is all quantum physics, right? So what happens is it starts to change your brain chemistry, just like you've all probably seen the research in the water. You talk to water nicely, what the molecules will look like. And if you talk to it and you say horrible things to it, it changes the molecular <laughs> structure there's also online you can find these two which are fascinating if you talk to plants and there's a really great um
0: yeah i've seen so, the studies where they will play bully. different music okay. oh I've I've seen the one where they played different music to plants, either, you know, calm, good energy music to where like rock music and heavy and stuff like that and maybe screamo and how the plants, which plants are mostly water as well, how they respond.
1: Exactly. And I, it was somewhere in a, I believe it was a science museum or children's museum is the study that I saw, where they, the children would bully one plant and speak encouragement to the other plants. No surprise, the plant that was bullied would wither. We're just like that as humans. So the experiment I was talking about is put that into play. Watch yourself when you're saying wonderful and beautiful things about yourself in the world. And I guarantee people will start saying those same things to you. For example, I got this great haircut and I love it. Somebody's going to come and almost say word for word those words to you. If you are saying, oh my God, I think I'm gaining in my butt somebody's gonna say wow Angie's starting to get a big butt because energy follows energy and we pick up on that
0: isn't that like the basis of projection like saying I hate myself so I'm gonna project outwards and that energy will come in back to me
1: exactly and that's why when people are so negative on social media and they are ranting and raving. What their ego is calling out for is tell me, prove to me how worthless I am because I think I am a worthless person. When you have peace in your heart, Adam, at least this is what I believe and have experienced, I don't have any need to tear anybody down at all. There, it, it won't even come into your consciousness. But when you are not feeling strong and good about yourself, the ego looks for outside power and to tear others down. It never feels good to do that yourself. And you're going to create exactly what you said. You raised the perfect point. It's going to come back at you a millionfold. So guess what? I think I'm a hateful, ugly, worthless person. I'm going to put that out in the world and then watch the comments that come back to you on Facebook or Twitter. Twitter is, Twitter is the worst of mm-hmm. the worst yeah. mm-hmm. for that.
0: No, I think that's a good point. And kind of the wrap up this story, I want to ask you this question. Do you, do you think this journey for vanity is always worth the effort?
1: I can only speak from my own experience. And we'll, For example, when my toenails and fingernails are done and I'm practicing self-care for myself and I'm doing it just for me. It feels really great to go to yoga class, for example, and look down at my toes, and I'm loving up on my body, and that feels positive. However, if I was to get lip injections or a facelift because I'm not happy with who I am that's still my decision but if I am doing it with the intention of caring what others think about me more then for me personally I feel I have to look at is that a healthy behavior for me I wouldn't choose that I'm not saying I wouldn't choose it someday but I think a lot of people are putting their bodies through a lot because they care about what other people think more than they value their own opinion of themselves.
0: What do you think there can be a balance with that? Because say kind of your manicure, pedicure example. And like when I get a haircut, I feel really good about myself, but I also like know that other people see me as looking better. So do you think there can be a balance with that or do you think it has to be one or the other?
1: I think absolutely it can be one or the other. And once again, who are we to judge? Even if somebody wants to do all of these things... And even if it's for the reason and they're deciding out of ego and complete vanity, that is their body. That is their choice. That is their life. It is not my decision to make a judgment about them. Judging somebody else is still judging them, even if you're judging them for judging, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. So I just think it's really interesting how we feel we get to make those decisions about anybody. If you, Adam, if you chose to go get peck implants, go get them. It's not my choice to say. I
0: have something to show you today. I know. I I can see it bursting through.
1: I (laughs) I thought it was all the F45 workout.
0: Yeah, Well, that's the thing. It's like we have been doing these workouts and that's the thing I've always thought about with myself. It's like, if I had a lot of money, like the first thing I thought of was like, what would I change about myself? And I like who I am, but there's still things I would want to change about myself. And, you know, with working out, working out is a part of one of those things like, yeah, I would want to be fit. Everyone wants to be fit and healthy. But also the working out process, I think, is very important to really test you, test your body and test your mind and say, do you really want this? Or are you more concerned with how other people will see you? So I think I I get it why people want to do surgery and want to take not the easier routes. I don't know what would be a good word to describe that. But I get it. They want it to be just happen. They want it to happen like that. But I think the journey to get there is also really important to find out why do I want this.
1: For each person, I agree. And you know what's also interesting on the flip side, Adam, of this whole conversation, the other research I found is that women are only likely to accept 40% of the compliments that come their way. I thought that was very interesting. And I noticed that all the time. And I've been guilty of this myself. So one thing that happens is women in particular, men do this, but women in particular, I've noticed will instantly compliment back, oh, your hair looks great. Oh, so does yours instead of just saying thank you. Another thing that will happen is they'll minimize the compliment. Oh, really, it was nothing. I I was happy to help. And the other thing that I've noticed and that the research found as well is they'll attribute the win to somebody else. And I've done that myself. That one really got me thinking because you know our family has very, very blue, vibrant eyes. We're often complimented on our eyes. And I noticed for a while when somebody would say that, I'm like, oh, my dad had the bluest eyes and my mom did instead of saying thank you those are just unrelated to my parents they're just part of who I am too so I think we all can get that way the other thing in that article what was really interesting of research is it was saying that women care 80% of women care more when they receive a compliment from another woman as opposed to a man which I thought was interesting. Well, I think
0: from a man's perspective on this, let me mansplain this to you, Angie. Mansplain
1: (laughs) it up, Adam.
0: But I think women more often will receive compliments from men, like a lot more, because for men, they have something to gain from a woman being okay with you giving them compliments. Um, And I think that's the reason what the question I want to ask you from the research is like, why do you think people are so much more nervous or afraid or whatever that feeling may be to accept a compliment?
1: I think there's a vulnerability inherently in receiving. I feel like people have just this feeling of sometimes it's multifaceted, meaning what's the catch? I've seen that, you know, you're saying this, what do you want from me? I don't experience that, but I've noticed people accept that I think the other thing is is we because of social media and how everything's been now Adam again I can only talk to my experiments but I'll give you a real-life example so a few years ago I got in the best shape of my life in my 40s better than I was human in my 20s and I was in this fitness challenge I really worked hard and I was very proud of myself and I had six-pack abs and I was in great shape and I didn't submit my photos it included having to put them online and I thought I can't put those online I'm a professional what if my clients see the I started caring what people think whereas I remember when I was going through that process I was so proud of myself that I had really worked my ass off literally to get in great shape and I still regret that but because I saw all the viciousness also on social media I didn't post those pictures
0: Well, that's going back to your compliment brigade that you mentioned for Instagram and social media is I feel like a lot of people are more against getting a compliment because they don't always know if it's true. Like you mentioned the thing, like, oh, a woman will say a compliment to you and you'll give one right back. So I feel like most people subconsciously are like, oh, that's really nice. Like if someone tells me, hey, Adam, those are really nice glasses, in my mind, subconsciously, I'm like, oh, now I have to give them back one. It's kind of that mindset and that creates that I don't want to get a compliment because I don't want to force myself to give one back to you. I don't give a compliment to you when it's deserved. Not not deserved, but maybe when I'm in that moment to say a compliment to you and when I can actually say it from a place that matters.
1: That's interesting. Well, and I think that also what you're sharing right now also had me thinking and really reflecting on how we choose to view others at certain ages and fashion. And I'm. You and I talked about this, but I've been updating my website and updating my LinkedIn. I don't care what somebody wears. I care who somebody is. And I'm a professional. I've been a professional for years. And I can put on a power suit just like anybody else and get on a stage and absolutely put my power out there, and and that is part of who I am. However, I'm also somebody that you're looking at me right now. How I'm dressed right now is how you'll often see me out in the street, correct? I mean, you see me all the time. This is. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be relevant. I wear Converse shoes. I throw on a baseball hat. I decided against everybody's opinion to put a completely casual picture on LinkedIn to change the tide because if somebody is going to judge me because of that picture I know that that's not a client that I would connect with anyhow and that's okay I'm not everybody's cup of tea they can go further in my profile 'll go on my website they'll see the more professional headshot But I personally wouldn't even care if somebody came in to interview with me and they were wearing a hat. I am able to look past that some people can and that's okay too.
0: Well, I think it comes from a place of comfortability where if someone sees that photo, they're more likely to feel comfortable when talking to you. Where if they see a professional photo, they come in maybe with a, hey, Mrs. (laughs) Krause.
1: Mrs. Krause, wow, that makes me sound (laughs) like my mom. But if
0: they see like a more casual, comfortable photo of you, they'll be like, oh, hi, Angie, how's it going? And just that just even that initial reaction to a photo can very much depend on what you're wearing. Like I've when working with bands like we've tailored photo shoots to elicit responses. So I think that's very interesting to kind of say, well, certain ways you dress can also affect how people perceive you. And going back to all the going all the way back to this vampire facial thing is like your vanity is super important to how people perceive you and I feel like that's why people often put so much weight into what their vanity is because if you go out like this people are going to be like oh how's it going they're going to be more inceptive to interacting with you where if you just went out with pajamas and your hair not done well and people are going to be like I don't want to talk to her she probably has something going on so I think that's why people also are like really just into I want my vanity to be the best it can be because interactions completely change the way you look and going all the way back to what we talked about with attractiveness and stuff of that nature
1: that's really that's really a good point Adam very good point point. and I think if you look at what everybody's doing out in the world that's exactly how we are if you see somebody when when I see you all spruced up if you will I'm sure you elicit a completely different group of people that's attracted to you I know I've done the same I know for a fact for me that you see me when we go out and work. Sometimes I do not put on makeup. I am dressed down for exactly the reasons that you talked about. I don't want to be engaged. I'm such a connector and I put so much energy out the other way that that is my do not disturb sign. And people wouldn't even recognize who I was those times. And I'm sure that's how your bands are yeah. or you are. And yeah.
0: There's been plenty of times where I'm just feeling myself and feeling good about yourself and feeling, putting out that positive energy, projecting positive energy, where I'll go out and I'll, like more people will smile at me. I'll get better deals at restaurants or something like that. And then other times where I'm not feeling myself and no one really notices me. So I feel like people everyone has those days and has those times where you're on both sides of the board and you kind of get that high those endorphins or dopamine is released when people are smiling at you when you're getting things for feeling yourself and that's why people are always chasing that vanity because they're like well I want that feeling it's kind of like an addiction. You're addicted to people treating you well.
1: Interesting. Okay. So you're defining that as the vanity, whereas before you were talking about how you were feeling good. So from an energy standpoint, if you're feeling good and you're putting that energy out, you're going to attract that same level of energy back to it's more about the feeling as opposed to the vanity, which traditionally people will connect vanity with ego. And Not bravado ego, meaning I'm the best ever, but fear, right? So I need something kind of reflected back at me. So when you're feeling yourself and you're feeling the most like yourself, for example, I'm feeling like myself right now in this very moment because of what I'm wearing, because of just who I am, because I'm talking to you and we have a relationship professionally and you're also my nephew. So we're going to have a different exchange than if I wasn't feeling myself, and i was so concerned about what you thought of me.
0: No, that's that's a very good point and something like i've been trying to figure out for the podcast cuz a lot of people will start in that mindset on like worried about what all think of them cuz i've been doing a podcast since 2013 basically that's what 6 7 years. So, I'm comfortable in this setting, but not a lot of people when they come in, they're not used to talking on a mic, talking, even having these conversations. So, they come in with a little more nervous energy and they want to be like, oh, am I doing this right? And is this going well? Is this going well? Is, is, yeah, is this going well? And then, you know, sometimes it doesn't create the best discussion when really, yeah, it goes down to if you're feeling good about yourself, if you're feeling good about the conversation and the connection we have you're creating and putting better things out to the world.
1: Agreed, And I think you do have a really genuine talent for that, Adam. You put people at ease. You put me at ease and I know you and there are still those healthy butterflies that come up because I'm still, even in this conversation, putting myself out there. I don't care what people think, not in a bad way, but I'm being myself. And I have a company that's Be Your Brand, so I better damn well walk my talk if I'm gonna ask the global leaders that I'm working with to do so. But do I absolutely care what people think at other times? Without question, because I am human. I think the key as you mentioned before is finding the balance and when you meet somebody and I think your guests experience this because I've listened to a lot of different podcasts you make people feel safe and when people feel safe Adam they'll open up and they will share more and more and more with you and you can people can feel that in the interaction and
0: that's what I've talked about with a lot of guests it's kind of the conversation after the mics turn off which will always be kept private that's the most special to me because we've just shared maybe an hour maybe two hours of having this really developed and productive conversation and it does it opens up people people feel safer to share who they are And then that conversation after the mics turn on are some of my favorite moments, probably my favorite moment of the podcast, is just being able to connect with someone on another level when it's just me and that other person. And that's really important to me, and I'm so glad that gets to happen, and it makes me happy to do the podcast because I get to have those moments. But yeah, I think it's very important for people to kind of just take a step back and say, the world doesn't give a shit about you. (laughs) You're the only one who gives a shit about yourself. Because once again, you are the main character in your story side characters aren't going to be a big factor. They'll come into your life and affect your life in certain ways, but at the end of the day, you're the main character and you have to give a shit about yourself.
1: I agree with that, Adam, 100%. All
0: right, I would like to welcome to the show for her second appearance on the podcast, Angie Krause. Angie is a respected global leadership consultant, presenter, facilitator, and powerful leadership intuitive, in which you can connect by visiting her website, www.angiekrause.com, or searching Angie Krause on LinkedIn. Those links will also be included in the description of this episode. and you stopped by last time for the episode Plastic Bag Rage where we focused on discussing generational divide, managing rage in your local supermarket, and our racial bias towards robots. That episode came out almost 10 months ago and listening to the discussion other guests have had on this podcast, how have you changed the way you've taken on the process of being a guest on this show?
1: The response from the last podcast that you and I did together was extremely positive and it brought up thoughts and questions that you nor I could have ever thought would come our way and it was all just from that very organic conversation it really made me realize at a deeper level what a big platform this is to help people really stay in their souls And that's the kind of feedback we were getting. I never thought about that way. I took away this. I'm using it in my life, my family, my business. And for me personally, I'm sure for you as a podcast host, it's a responsibility to be on a platform like this. I feel like with all of the very thoughtless news that goes on in the world that's very detrimental, we have a conscious decision to put out something great that actually puts good energy in the world. So, for this podcast in particular, I was really more thoughtful to research some of the stories at a deeper level to find out what was going on. For example, you had mentioned, you know, maybe it was the tools in the vampire that got in the way. What if you hadn't? caught that? What if I hadn't caught that? Then all of a sudden we're putting out on the airways that these vampire facials are causing HIV, which is not true. So I feel like that's one way for sure.
0: Angie, one thing you strive to do is work with integrity-driven and impactful leaders What's your opinion on what makes a good leader, or is, it, is that something that you can't really define? Everyone has their own different abilities that make them a good leader.
1: I think that you're correct in what you just shared. And again, who's to judge what great leadership is? For me personally and professionally, what I honor and what I value very much in leaders is leaders who have compassion and leaders that realize how connected we all are. So in my business, I'm a global leadership consultant, presenter, facilitator, meaning that I work with clients from all over the world, and I very much feel and believe that we're all connected. So it doesn't mean just because I live in the United States that I don't take great pride in being an American. However, I work with clients, for example, in Sweden and Hong Kong and lots of other places. And what I think is that we forget how interconnected we all are. And what I found in my work is how much more the same than different we are. In addition to compassion, I feel like, being true to who you are, no matter what, makes a great leader. When you feel comfortable in your own skin and you are on this planet doing and being what you were meant to do and be on this planet, for me, there's nothing more beautiful, truly. I feel as though if you have to always strive to be the kind of leader that society expects of you, that feels very unauthentic to your own being and You're not necessarily being of service. So for me personally, it's being of service to the world, but not having an attachment in any way to ego, of why you're doing it. I listened to a really great podcast. Um, It was Maria Shriver's podcast, and she was interviewing, her her podcast is called Meaningful Conversations, and she was interviewing a reverend, and he was talking about kinship, radical kinship, and how he as a reverend has to be very thoughtful that he is not the savior or trying to make things, because then that's about the ego, as opposed to just being who he was born to be, which ties very nicely into one of the topics that you chose for us today.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And listeners, once again, if you'd like to connect with Angie, you can do so by heading over to our website, www.AngieCrowsey.com, or searching Angie Crowsey on LinkedIn. A very comfortable photo will await you. And as always, those links will also be included in the, script, in the description of this episode. Angie, are you ready to jump into story number 2? It's like Howard Stern in here. I'm right. I
1: know we're getting we're getting deep. Our last podcast was a little bit more lighthearted, but I love that we're going this route too.
0: This is from bigthink.com. You weren't born just to be useful. Irish president tells students At the Irish Young Philosopher Awards for 2019, Ireland President Michael D. Higgins had some choice words of wisdom for the young students. Uh, And just for the U.S. listeners, I know we have... Oh, I'm sorry. This story was actually submitted by a viewer, Elena Quinn, from Ireland. So thank you, Elena. I completely just skipped over that little note there. But thank you. She's from Ireland. But we have a big Irish listenership. Uh, So for those of you from the U.S., the president position in Ireland is the head of state and not the head of government as is here in the US so Higgins would be more responsible for overseeing Parliament their Prime Minister Leo the would take on a role we are more familiar with I just want to make that clear that when we say president it's not Trump president Uh, anyways Higgins cautioned against the idea that the educational system should be engineered as a system that operates under the idea that we exist to be made useful. He went on to say, Talk of a knowledge society and the demand to enable our young people to meet its needs has come to dominate our view as the ultimate aim of a secondary education. We need to be careful. Many leading philosophers, pundits, and teachers throughout the later half of the 20th century have echoed the same sentiment as Higgins, declaring that the education system has lapsed in its initial purpose set out in its development. Higgins continues in his speech, Too many policy lobbyists have, often unknowingly, unthinkingly perhaps, accepted a narrow and utilitarian view of education, one that suggests we exist to be made useful, which leads to a great loss of the capacity to critically evaluate, question, and challenge. Angie, does what Ireland President Michael D. Higgins said hold merit in our world? Do we need to create an educational system that relies more on philosophy rather than the maths and science?
1: I feel there's a lot of that in our education system currently in America. I can't speak to how it is in Ireland and other places. What I love about this story and your listener that graciously... Elena, yes. Elena, really great, thought-provoking subject because, again, it makes us realize how more alike than different we are. And it's balance for me, Adam. I always look for balance. And I feel as though what we're even teaching in our elementary schools, in our junior highs, in our high schools, and at the college level and master's level would be so well served to reflect the times of today. So I remember one of the podcasts you were talking about student debt.
0: With Brian Grossman. Yes. Yes,
1: And that was such an excellent podcast, Adam, because your generation and what you deal in are straddled with debt for college is far more than my generation was or the generations before us. So a lot of Generation Xers and Boomers and Golden Age don't even understand the level of debt. I just talked with a client who is in $250,000 of law school debt. That's insane. Young kids, you from going over to California, or excuse me, Colorado Colorado State, State, you were in- a lot of debt from one year and I do think education is worth investing in however at what cost if you always have that hanging over your head so what are you actually garnering from your college experience I think so much of college is about the outside experience as just as important as the classes and I feel like what's missing is where we are now in America, again, can't speak to the rest of the world, and financial budgeting and life skills of that nature, boy, would we benefit if college kids, high school kids, before they made the decision to go to college, learn that. I feel like really being up on par about journalism and media would be a required course for everybody, starting at the elementary school level, because now we live in this of sub- Supposedly, fake news society, which there is fake news, but there's also damn good journalists out there. And I feel as though how we consume news in my generation, to your generation, to the older generation is completely different. How can we all understand where the others come from? I think that would be a great class. And again, that's more about a philosophy. It's people exchanging ideas and learning from each other. I think that's great learning.
0: Just critically thinking about how situations occur and how they can be solved is really important. And for this specifically, I know he had mentioned, you know, people shouldn't be just cogs in a machine. I feel like it's very, very important for people just to exist. Like, you don't need to exist for any one reason. Just exist in the world and be a part of the world. And I know that's very hard to say when you, you know, you can say, well, I got bills to pay and I got, you know, things to do and I need to, just existing doesn't solve those things for me. I need to get a job. I need to get education to get an even better job and all these things. And it's hard to really look at just existing, especially in once again, we can't speak to the international listeners. and I would love to hear what they have to say for this. But from the US, we have been kind of in the situation where, you know, the American dream, let's go from there. The American dream was the fact that if you work hard enough, you can get anything you want in life. And now through generations and generations and generations, it's been built into us that work hard and you'll get what you want in life. Like we even had this discussion before, like it was always in my mindset on you have to have a very blue collar sort of mindset. You have to really work hard to get what you want, but no, you have to work smarter. I think we've talked about this in the last episode with you is work smarter, not harder, because that's the importance of it. Going back to just existing and being that's not always possible that's what you would want in the world but it's not always possible because we're not always given the time to deal with like difficult situations like if you go in debt from school or if you go in debt from medical reasons you're fucked like there's not much you can do to get out of that you have to completely change your life To what you may have wanted just existing, to now this life of I got dealt a shitty hand and there's not much I can do. My life is now on this path because of just being dealt this shitty hand and I can't exist. I need to be the person that solves this path or gets to the final conclusion Mm -hmm. of this path, pays off this debt, for example, and I can't just be who I wanna be. And I think that's something that is just very negative and something I've always been against just like you know like we've been saying it's like we can't speak to our international listeners but I feel like there's this concept in America and I'll ask you your opinion on this where it feels like we're always focusing on how to be happy and not what that means.
1: Simply being. Exactly. Well you're speaking my language because obviously... Be Your Brand is one of my companies and I work with leaders to be more and do less. And I feel as though we are in a very much doing, doing society. And in order to make your dreams happen, I believe you have to have the doing and the being work together. But what I've noticed is that if you are doing, 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 and you are not being good to yourself and you're not being good to the world in the process, then what's the point of that? And I feel like your point of you really don't have to do anything really is beautiful because there's this beautiful quote, Adam, that says, if the only thing that you did today was breathe, that would be enough. And I love that quote because just the exhale of energy and just you being on this planet is a gift. And I feel as though we always have to be in motion and going towards whatever we think we're going for.
0: And I think that's, in that, I think that's a very American mindset. I think that is, and I don't know if other countries feel that way, but to me that feels a very U.S. American That feels very U.S. American mindset of what I talked about, the American dream. You always have to be going to accomplish what you want. Your value is determined by your output. It
1: absolutely is. And I can speak, you know, I can't speak to every country, but I can certainly speak to Asia because I've got clients there and I've worked there and they are equally pushing themselves those kids I mean those kids have such high expectations on themselves at four years old five years old six years old it's not very much different to what we have in say in New York where kids are or parents are fighting to get their kids into the best kindergarten you know we've set up this competitive situation In education when really I believe education comes in many forms what we're doing right now is education we're sharing ideas and I feel like what was interesting about the article that you shared is that they also talked about history and there's so many viewpoints on history, Adam, from so many different countries. If I was in college, I would love to hear what Ireland's perspective is on America. And I'm sure they would love to hear what our perspective is. There is the Native American history. There's the African American history. There's Asian American history. There's Muslim American history. I would love to see all that discussed and taught in colleges and in junior highs and in high schools, and particularly when we're starting out, from all perspectives, I want to know what the Native Americans think of history, not what the white people think about American history. I want to know what Muslims feel. That's how I believe we will all come together because we just don't know their perspective.
0: Yeah, that's that's a very good point. As someone who is a history buff, you very quickly learn history is written by winners, and often those winners are white males. So that's a very construed history. It'll be, yeah, it'll be amazing to see how other nations and other people and other I guess just other people in general have seen history like what is the lens that they've looked at history through as not always the winners like how this may be a more of a aggressive look at it but like how did Nazis see World War II like that'll be very interesting not saying what they did was okay whatsoever but just seeing their take on what history looked like
1: I agree I think that would be incredibly interesting because again it's it comes down to that connection and then we're starting to understand the other person's point of view. The reason I mention media and journalism is because right now that's all over the world. It's not just America. That's what's so heavily contested, what's out there. I went to St. Cloud State University in um, Minnesota. It's about an hour and a half from the Twin Cities. And I was a mass communications major. So I was in public relations and then my minor was in marketing. I was the editor of our college newspaper as well as a writer and I was also a writer in high school and I really loved journalism and I had the most fantastic instructor at St. Cloud his name was Mike Vadney and he was one of the most integrity journalists that I've ever known and even in that class it still stays with me we had to describe a car accident and he had us all read our submissions and every single person with the same car accident had a different perspective it could be where we were standing Mm -hmm. it could be because of that mood we were in but even if you're being objective as you can we all as humans see the world through our own lenses and our own biases and we don't often see those So anytime I see any of the news, the the mainstream news, Fox News, CNN news, that's not, in my opinion, that's not the traditional news that I grew up with. You know, that was when the the 24-hour news cycle started and then everything changed. And I know you've talked about that. Media used to be the watchdog of government. Mm -hmm. And now it's become propaganda for both sides of government. And I don't think most people realize that News stations are businesses. And same thing what we talked at the beginning of this podcast with brands. We as a consumer shape. If you don't like what you're seeing on the news, you have the ability to change it. They are gonna follow where their consumers are going.
0: I, I very much agree. And I liked how the perspective on the car accident because yeah, it's like you have no idea. I think you know, Sarah Silverman had mentioned something on Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard on and I had mentioned on the quality under Pressure podcast when I was a guest on there. It's like you follow love, you go to what you're comfortable with. It would be, I would love to have a white nationalist on the podcast just to see their perspective. I don't have to agree with it, but I just want to see how they think and how they view the world and how they see what I'm doing is okay. Because, you know, kind of what I talked about is people will follow love, they'll go to where. It's comfortable with them If their family is a racist They're more likely to be a racist Than someone whose family isn't Because that's what they're comfortable And that's where the love is That's where there's a community Because people want a community At the end of the day Even if you're a person Who likes to be alone You really want a community Going back to I've talked about it multiple times Like the 100 person community Is like what we all strive for Something that I can be someone who Even going back to the first story I can be someone who matters In my community That's all people want They just want to matter So when you talk about you know, a clan member or something and why they think that way. They just want to matter in the eyes of their community. They want to fit in. It's a lot easier to fit in than be uncomfortable. We talked about being uncomfortable with Alexander Nedved on just sitting in that uncomfortableness is super hard. And I think that's incredibly interesting. And I think something that is very important on why we need to teach more philosophy is to ask questions like that and have the conversations that those questions may elicit.
1: I think that's, I think that's really, really right on the money. The other thing is, it's on Netflix and I'm, Blinking on the name of it right now, I'll have to send you the link and you can put it up for your podcast listeners. But there's a documentary exactly doing that. somebody that talked to white nationalists who is a oh, I don't remember were they
0: like a former clamant? No no or they were they, like an no African no American they no, it's somebody
1: in Islam in extremists, oh, okay. and then it's else. also a white nationalist, and she basically went to them and said tell me why you don't like me. Just let's lay it all out. It's really interesting. I haven't watched the whole thing. I've just watched some stories about it. So I'm interested to really go in there. But once you get to know somebody and connect with them, you're going to see different points of view. And in fact, because of that documentary, at least what I read in this article, and I'd have to research it more to make sure it is in fact true or fact, it changed beliefs within each of those organizations. I do think the one thing to be careful about when you're giving a platform to what many would consider hate speech is if you're giving them a microphone. Right. To spread their message even further. Mm -hmm. And I know some big leaders in the world that have big media platforms like Oprah Winfrey before said she would never again have the Ku Klux Klan on her stage because she understood after they were on her stage that she was basically just a pawn for them. And they even admitted that they knew they were going to get their message out. However, If there are parties coming to the table to truly connect, which it sounds like in this documentary there are, then I believe there's always that common connection point. And maybe you walk away and you don't always agree with each other, but she'll understand each other. You
0: talked about that woman going into these conversations and then being okay with walking away and say, we didn't agree. And I think that's very important when you, you know, especially with philosophy, I think is a big ideal of philosophy is going into conversation, having a conversation, but being okay with realizing that other t- side of the table is not always going to agree with you and being okay walking away from the table and knowing you said your piece and knowing that you put your philosophy out there to the world and maybe it wasn't accepted, but at least you Put it out there.
1: I think you're I think you're correct with that. And the caveat to that is souls have to be willing to connect. You know, when you can connect with somebody and have a deeper conversation and you're really coming into that conversation with the intention to connect and you're not coming with the intention to press your agenda on somebody else, wonderful and beautiful things can happen because all of a sudden that is a person sitting across the table from you. And exactly what you said is people want to feel a part of something. That's why a lot of these young men are joining these extreme movements. It's not because they believe in the cause. It's because they are lost souls. And there is a way that we can come together, I believe, as a nation, as a world. It's sad to me that people feel they have to go to these extremes to feel a part of something. And you even see it on social media, Adam, the other thing I was thinking about, and we've talked about this at length, is we have a... Re- we we are now part of the newsmaking organization, whether it's a podcast, whether it's what we're putting out in social media. If something goes out on Facebook, it competes with the nightly news mm-hmm. and people will perceive it often as fact. And people are posting things that are absolutely not true and they're not checking the facts. And then it's being spread further and further. So one thing that we all have control over Every single person in this world that has freedom is you can always research to find out what is true, what is not true. And then even if it's true fact or not true fact, go back to that story about reporters. They're going to still see it through their own eyes. So even the most unbiased reporter is still going to have their perspective. But you as a consumer, when you're posting on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, you can decide what you're putting out and everybody could go on their Facebook wall now and this is just one way we could improve the world really quick in my opinion. Delete anything that you don't know is a hundred percent true, whether you agree with it or not.
0: And one that's like a, I like to say to my audience is don't trust what I'm don't always trust what I say. Like I would like to think I have some sort of credibility because I put in the time to do the research and make sure my facts are up to code and now we're adding on a new segment of the corrections and making sure everything is to board because I know at the end of the day not everyone has the time to do all of the extra research so they trust people they trust journalists they trust reporters that doesn't always work like that story maybe some reporter reported that and somebody was like I don't have the time to do the research so I'm gonna trust this person they have credibility in my eyes so and now that information is what I believe so I think that's important to I think it is very important to find the time to do the extra research and that what I want and that's what I want people to Believe from this podcast, even if we do corrections, double correct my corrections because you don't know where I'm getting my sources from. I could be bullshitting you. Every exactly. every stat I throw out here, every kind of saying I throw out here, every quote, even these stories, I could be making up all these fucking stories. You would believe me because you're like, well, he seems like a credible guy. I believe things he said in the past and they're true. So I'm just gonna blindly put my faith into what Adam says, and I appreciate it. <laughs> I would love to start. Because you're a, gonna rule the world and everybody's gonna follow you. If you're sharing things, it is important to double check where you're you're getting your information from. And that's why I believe more philosophy in school, people will think differently. I'm not the biggest fan of the sciences. Um, that was like one of the things in schools, like chemistry was something I really struggled with because I didn't understand the concepts of it. I didn't understand what needed to be understood. And any of like those scientists or any of those sciences, I was just like, this is not. I don't feel comfortable in this area. And I know there are plenty of people that are, but I wasn't. I was. I'm more comfortable in the philosophy of it. How we view the world is where I feel comfortable in. Going back, you know, all the way back to talking about sitting in that uncomfortableness. Like, yeah, maybe I need to understand the science side more of it to properly throw out my opinion and be credible to potential listeners. But is that something that's beneficial to the world as a whole? Like, if we put more philosophy in school, would that be beneficial or would that just or would the science people be like, well, this isn't beneficial to me. This isn't working. So you have you know I don't want to like split the world up into philosophy people and science people but that's kind of how it is like when you think of the big picture of religion right the religion versus science debate like that's you can completely split a population by that argument and if you do it with philosophy which is the basic premise of religion is based in philosophy questioning why are we here Mm -hmm. then you can say philosophy and sciences are the world can be split up into those two categories so if you want to do one more than the other there's going to be a group that says well this isn't working for me let's go back and finding that balance and realizing Where does that balance lay?
1: Well, exactly. And I think even in particularly the college system, you know, on the other side of the coin, there's a big discussion out there of going and how liberal teachers are putting all sorts of thoughts into these kids, which is, in fact somebody's opinion and I can see that side of the issue as well. Right. The same thing with what's going out from conservative sides, if you will. So there's all of that kind of stuff. Whereas to me, if you are going back to a question about the leader, if you are just putting things out there in the world, you're putting them out there because you're sharing them. It's not because you have an agenda. If the minute the, a very in- good point. the the minute the intention becomes to persuade or righteousness is I am right and you are wrong, that's when we get into to the divide that particularly we're seeing in America. Everybody thinks they're right. For me personally, on every single issue, somewhere in the middle. So what I do, and I find very helpful, is I research all sides. I listen to media that I wouldn't even normally follow just to find out what what is their perspective and I go into it here's the important part with an open heart. When I'm voting in an election, I think Matt probably thinks I'm crazy or maybe he loves it, I don't know, but I research the candidates for at least three hours i look at every single issue i don't care if they're democrat or republican or independent i don't vote that way i really do my best to be an informed voter but that's just what works for me but i don't think we do that i don't think i think everybody's so busy they think they're so busy they don't have the time to research like you said they just take things that at value but it's the most important thing you can do in my opinion, don't put out anything unless you know that it is fact and it is not backed by a propaganda on either end of the coin. And listen to other people that have the complete opposite view of your own. That's how I get better every time. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You might not like Stephen Colbert's intro in his monologue, but he does a really good interview. There's just you gotta balance things out I think there's always information there yeah,
0: I, no I think that the very Stephen Colbert is a very good interviewer and reminded me of um, Howard Stern speaking of Howard Stern he was just on Conan's Conan O'Brien's podcast and I was never a fan of Howard Stern because it was very visceral radio and then having him sit down with the interviewer like Conan O'Brien and you really get to see a different side and how or not the how but the why he was like that and why how his show has changed I was like it made me a fan of Howard Stern I was just like wow this is a really good guy who basically doing what I'm doing but in a more open format and far as far as being more open with the guests like hey you know let's talk about your sex life and but having that be beneficial to the interview because I feel like talking about those things and the show and um, general talking about these taboo things really opens up people, like what we talked about at the beginning, really opens up people to be a much truer self. When I can say, hey, I masturbate every day, whatevs, and now I feel much more comfortable <laughs> sharing oh, who I am. doesn't want to know that.
1: I'm kidding, but I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I understand what you're saying.
0: Um, and then to kind of just wrap up this story here, Angie, I want to ask you this, in your own personal experience, what are we here for?
1: I believe we're here to simply be. And what that means for every person is completely individualized to them what being means. And it's a, it's like the question of the ages. You know, I don't know why you chose to come to be on this planet at this particular time. I'm still figuring out as a human and a soul why I chose to come here and be who I am. I feel like that question is one that I personally will probably never find an answer to that feels like the answer in this life whereas when I go to wherever I go maybe then it'll all fit together and maybe I'm gonna fly back down here again and give it another go I don't know that answer I I feel like even saying we are here to wait make the world better is me putting judgment on what I feel we all should be here to do I have no idea what every person came here to do and be
0: oh well, I agree with that point that's a good point um and you know as people say I'm a very good transitioner and being your be perfectly encapsulates into our next story I don't know if that word sentence Encapsulates, worked, I think so but it's my podcast and you have to believe what I say all right Angie are you ready to jump into our final news story of the day we'll talk about masturbation we'll talk about being we'll talk about death this is from the New York Times. Parents of dead West Point cadet can use his sperm, judge rules. New York Judge Justice John P. Colangelo, with a lot of J's in there... It's
1: like a tongue twister. ...has
0: ruled that the parents of Peter Zhu, a West Point cadet who was declared brain dead after a skiing accident, can use sperm harvested from his body with no restrictions, which would grant them... Peter's do's parents, the opportunity to, to fulfill what they had described as their son's lifelong desire to have children and continue the family name. Peter was declared brain dead on February 27th, and because of his organ donor status, his body was kept alive until March 1st, allowing his parents to obtain a court order for the retrieval of his sperm to be used at a later date. men and Monica Zhu, Peter's parents, stated in their filing, Without obtaining sperm from Peter's body, we will never be able to help Peter realize his dreams of bringing a child into this world. This is our one and only chance of fulfilling Peter's wishes and preserving his incredible legacy. In his ruling, Justice Colangelo stated, Who, if anyone, should be given the authority to determine the disposition of Peter's genetic material now preserved in the sperm bank? The answer, he said, was Peter's parents. He continues, even though Peter did not expressly state that he wanted his sperm to be used for reproductive purposes, should his parents choose to do so in the future, it would not do violence to his memory. Lauren Sidney Flicker, a bioethicist, an expert in post-mortem sperm retrieval, what a <laughs> expert that is, said requests to retrieve the sperm of a dead person are not shockingly rare. Most major medical centers receive a few such requests each year, usually from a romantic partner of the deceased, but many doctors do not know the procedure is possible and there are no databases that track it nationwide. During the testimony, Peter's parents testified that they had not taken any concrete steps to prepare to use the sperm, that they had not begun looking for a potential surrogate or potential eggs, and they had not retained a physician to assist them with these matters in the current time of their request. Flickr stated that the most, Flickr once again is the expert in sperm retrieval from dead people. Flickr stated the most hospitals that agree to retrieve a dead man's sperm limit how long they will store the sample because they're averse to creating a child out of grief. And I want that to be very vocal in this discussion as creating a child out of grief. She continues if a couple has lost a child it is generally found upon by fertility clinics for them to go to the clinic to have a child that they see as a replacement. I just spit everywhere. <laughs> you can always find someone who will say yes but to find an ethical Savvy fertility clinic, I think it would be a challenge. And what I said, I think here, what Flickr states at the end is a vital to the potential why to this story. A mother and a father just lost their 21 year old son. They had to bury their kid, and they're obviously in grief. They obviously have this gigantic hole in their heart, and they want to fill it. And I feel like it's a situation where they think that by using Peter's sperm to fill that hole, jeez, <laughs> <laughs> oh, by, uh, by using Peter's know. genetic material to fill that hole, they think it will be okay. And here's the thing, I want to have kids once in my life, but I don't want what I just said to be a binding document that if I die early that my mother can retrieve my genetic material. I feel like the parents are using Peter's desire to want kids one day as a reason to violate his body, quotation marks around that, to once again try to replace him.
1: I can absolutely see how you see it that way. I can. I thought you did a really thoughtful and very compassionate description of this story because it is truly it is sad somebody lost their child and the reason you and I are laughing and giggling is obviously we came off of that last story and levity is such a great way to bring a sense of perspective on things that are sometimes really hard to talk about and I think that's important and I don't think that's a level of disrespect You see it as the parents are actually trying to replace Peter with this, which would be their grandchild to to fill up a hole in their heart, so to speak.
0: But here, what about I feel like nothing I've read about this has mentioned the kid. What about the kid? Like we are not thinking about this kid whatsoever. We're just thinking of what would be good for these two parents like this kid is going to grow up without a biological father, mm-hmm. which we've seen the results of not growing up with a biological father. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's mm-hmm. more likely not to work. And then the question of why, going back to the last story, why is this kid here? He's always going to have that on his mind. Well, I'm here because my dad died and my grandparents really wanted to fill that hole in their heart. And I feel like as somebody who may have that chip on your shoulder, you're going to have a very interesting life. Because you know the reason you're here. Like me and you, we don't know the reason we're here. We're figuring it out. But he knows exactly why he is here on this earth. Because his dad died and his grandparents were so sad that they wanted to continue his legacy. Quotation marks around legacy.
1: Okay. This is really interesting. Are you open to me showing you a bit what I'm observing about how you're having judgments on this yeah definitely okay isn't it interesting that you have already decided that this kid is going to have a chip on his shoulder that's your what you're making up about it 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 could happen Mm -hmm. it could not happen but you have decided that that's what he's going to decide for himself where we have no idea you have also decided in this story that the parents are strictly doing it for themselves when I read the story. My experience was that we don't have enough information to know. That's true. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what I noticed is he was an organ donor. And what they shared in the story is that because he was an organ donor, and because he wanted to have kids, they wanted to honor his legacy. How I experienced that story is they were doing it because that was what they could gift to their son. I did not pick up the same vibe you did. It doesn't mean it wasn't there. I just didn't pick it up. So you are absolutely inclined and have every right to have your experience to that story but this is just a this is a perfect example from the last Mm -hmm. experience how we just experience the story totally different i look at this and go there is not enough information here and even if there was all the information in the world the key person that's missing to really tell us what's going on is peter peter is the only one that knows what peter truly wanted to do so I think it's one of those situations where everybody might be coming from either a place of honor and caring and soul or they're coming from as you mentioned trying to fill a hole but does it really matter when the fact is the only person whose body that was, as we were talking about going back connecting to the first story, is Peter. So who are we to decide what Peter's gets to do with his body? It's interesting now that Peter's gone, all of a sudden we feel as though or don't feel we can or cannot take sperm from him. If Peter was alive we're not taking sperm from Peter.
0: Well, it's it's crazy how all these stories interact, right, Angie? Yes, it is.
1: Very connected. But I, <laughs> I
0: very much like the fact that you brought up that he was an organ donor because that's where my mindset, like, we don't have enough information to really give an, a true opinion on the parent's situation, on this whole situation in general. The part that I was, like, really, when I was reading the story, I actually got, like, it's very flabbergasted about...
1: Flabbergasted.
0: Flabbergasted.
1: Flabbergasted? Flabbergasted.
0: Is... Uh I looked this up on organdonor.gov. This is a list of which organs and tissues can be donated. A heart, kidney, pancreas, lungs, liver, intestines, hands, faces, cornea, skin, heart valves, bone, blood vessels, connective tissue, bone marrow, stem cells, umbilical cord, blood, and peripheral blood cell cells. Nothing in there says anything about zygotes or not zygotes. What's the single cell reproductive genetic material. Mm-hmm. So basically the parents and the judge here Judge Justice Colangello is basically I think putting out a very dangerous precedent on post-mortal donation. I do not think it's okay that this happened. I th- I'm very I'm I understand the reasoning for it, but I'm very like just Peter has no choice on maybe peter really didn't want kids and that was just something he said to appease his parents he comes from a asian family where having a family and having a legacy and the thing that the family mentioned a legacy multiple times they Mm -hmm. want to continue his legacy and some people i don't know if peter and You know, Peter's dead. We don't have a story. But some people don't want kids. And sometimes their parents really want them to have kids. So now we have a legal judgment that says if someone dies and they said once that they wanted kids, for heaven forbid, knock on wood, if I die tomorrow, there is audio evidence that I want kids. And so my mom can say, well, I really wanted grandkids from Adam. Now she can come and take my sperm Mm -hmm. from me. So I feel like now there's a legal justification for, say, you know, talking about extremes, maybe someone has a genetic disease they don't want to pass on, and but their parents really want them to have grandkids. Oh, somehow they mysteriously die, and now their parents can take their genetic material and create a kid that they may have not wanted. So you've created this situation, in my opinion, where dead people don't have reproductive autonomy. They can't decide on what their body is unless they put it in their will. Peter, obviously, he was 21 years old. He lost his life. It's tragic to lose a life that young. But obviously, he wasn't thinking about making a will. I don't have a will. I'm 24 years... 24 years old, I don't have a will. If I die tomorrow, my mom could do this. I would not want to have a kid, my kid, without me in the world. I want to be involved in the process. I think a big portion of having kids is being involved in the process. So going back to what I mentioned in the beginning about the kid, and maybe maybe he doesn't have, maybe this Mm -hmm. kid grows up and has the perfect life. But I know if we're talking about preserving Peter's legacy, I feel like he would want to say in if he can have a kid in this world or not.
1: I understand your perspective 100%. And I really appreciate how you shared it, Adam, because you shared it in a state of, I, listening to you, understand where you're coming from. And I very much understood that was your perspective. Yeah, You were not placing what, until the very end, and that's even okay that you did. That's just what, again, what yeah. I noticed mm-hmm. is you saying, this is what you feel his family is doing. And that's okay, because it's still coming from your perspective. And I think, feel like that's such a great empowering conversation it felt really good to be on the receiving end of that because I genuinely wanted to hear your perspective and what you had to say and you owned it from your side you weren't telling anybody how they should behave and I feel like so often with news stories of any kind we as humans will suddenly make up that that we get to decide on how the players in the story behave, as you mentioned in the previous story about how we're all just, you know, plot characters basically. And we just don't know enough from the story to really gather anything. And what I think is interesting how I approach the story and and look at it from my lens and perspective is people are going to say that these parents are crazy. People are going to say that these parents are pathetic. People are going to say so many hurtful things. And as you mentioned so compassionately at the beginning, these are people that lost their son. And in the story, Peter was a Navy officer. He served in the military. He is somebody that did great things for our world. And I think that's where we all have an opportunity to go, hey, I might not agree with what they're doing, but I understand it. And if I was in their shoes, I could see how that might happen. And who ultimately gets the say on that? Jury's still out, right? Because... Peter is gone and he's the one that would have that say. But I get what you're saying personally. So now if you die, I'm going to tell your mom, like, don't try and go get Adam's sperm. And here's the other interesting question the story begs to me. How does that happen? How, does, how do they get Peter's sperm? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. You're
0: asking the wrong person. We need to talk to uh, Flicker here who is a expert in the field. Yeah, I feel like it's probably you can cut into the scrotum area and retrieve it that way. Okay. I don't think you need a check. check
1: well, out that, that raises a whole other question of using your reproductive rights and, you know, necrophilia. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it just raises so many. I think it's a very slippery slope. I agree with you 100% that it's a really scary place to go because I don't think anybody should. I don't. I personally do not believe anybody should have a say over anybody else's body. You know, and obviously that's been debated everywhere with the abortion issue right now. That's just my stance, but I can understand other people's perspective. It doesn't mean I agree with it. No,
0: I like that you brought up the abortion issue and then going back to like the judgment character. Like we based our discussion about abortion in the U.S about the Roe v Wade case. So, obviously that was a situation where there was real people involved, real feelings, but we based our entire understanding of how that's perceived in the US based on that case. And going back to the judgment on this family and what they're doing, I feel like we're I feel like the important thing is yes, there are people involved with these cases. Yes, somebody lost their life, somebody lost their son, and it's it's incredibly sad, but I also think we also have to find the bigger picture in this and this is going to be example of you know now there's legal ramifications for if you die you can retrieve precedents. yes and now it'll be like a case maybe this is the roe v wade of sperm retrieval from a dead True. body so i think it is important to say yes there is a family involved there are individuals involved who have feelings who have you know who lost someone but I think it's also important to look at the bigger picture and say you are the start of something, potentially a bigger discussion. And obviously, the family's going to say, well, it's not worth it. You know if the future we get to a point where we figure out the ethical way to handle this situation, the family's going to be like i don 't give a shit, I lost my son." but I think outside of that and looking at the lens from outside it 's kind of like this is a very important I want to make it very clear this is catastrophic that, but that this happened, but it 's very important that this happened mm-hmm. and that this situation happened in this way to continue this discussion and figure out what is the ethical Solution to a situation like this.
1: I think you're very, very on the right track with that because it does create a Pandora's box that could be open, that could be quite dangerous. And as you're sharing all that, what comes forth for me is if the decision makers in this process could sit down at the table like we are sitting here in this podcast and have the kind of exchange that you and I are having what a different world that would be we share different perspectives but I don't know about you but I feel like you heard and understood my perspectives and I didn't feel judged
0: no the same way it's felt like you were actually listening to what I had to say and were taking like, I understand where he's coming from, but that doesn't mean I have to agree with you just because I understand where you may be coming from and maybe, yeah, you did say some good points. I'm like, oh yeah, that made me think a little bit that doesn't mean like going back to that second story that doesn't mean we have to at the end of the day agree on our stances because this was one of the stories like once I read into it, I was like I, there's a good chance that me and Angie will disagree on how we see this story and our perspective like even just like right now my research I'm like I want to have like a good understanding of what I'm going to say because I feel like we are going to disagree on this and I want to come from a place of facts and be like this is what I believe based on what I've researched because mm-hmm. then you're not like well you're just bullshitting and your opinion doesn't have any doesn't have need legs because you're just going off of your opinion and not really going off of a factual opinion. So I think that's important too when people come to the table is they come with the correct information that actually doesn't always prove their point, but it at least backs up their opinion.
1: I I agree with that. And I also think that if you just came to the party with just your opinion, for me personally as a listener, I would listen to hear your opinion too. And I would not choose to judge it as right or wrong. That's just not how I operate. Mm -hmm. But I can understand how that would be. And actually, I think we agree on, we actually agree on this issue. I do not think anybody should be taking anything from this kid. Okay. At all. I mean, there's no question. I'm very... That's my belief. I'm very firm in that belief. What I'm sharing is I can see from just from what I know from I read in the story, how the parents could feel one way or the other. And for me, the bigger issue is this is a great example of how I see we all read into stories with our own points of view. Yep. I picked up a whole different mm-hmm. vibe than you picked up.
0: Dogs barking in the background. Then the dogs
1: barking in the background. No, I
0: think that I think that's yeah, a very good point. And like sometimes you just get so caught up in your own opinion that it's hard to listen to the other side. It's hard to listen to say someone like, I see this as a different perspective because you know, when you get into the situation of this is my perspective, it's hard to see like you're kind of with blinders. You're kind of just look looking straight ahead like this is what I believe. And this is why, you know, going back to the example of like, racist an example of that they're like so in their lane that it's hard to see other things to the left or the right and it's hard to focus on those things because you're just like nah i'm just gonna keep going my way because this works for me
1: but does it you know does it work you look at what's going on in the world i don't think it ever works for our world when we don't choose to see and connect with another person's perspective and it can always be done in a respectful manner. It's a choice. You know, that's the way I see it anyhow, is you can choose to go in with the intention to connect or divide. And just sometimes reminding myself, why am I here? I'm here to connect with Adam. I'm here to hear him. I really want to learn. I learn, Adam, I always learn from you. That's why I love this podcast. But even sitting down with you in this format I learn whole new levels of how you think and it's fascinating and you challenge me and you challenge my beliefs. I love that. Some people don't. Some people just like to go the way they're going in life and they don't want to hear what other people have to say and that's okay too for them. I don't have judgment on them for being that way. I just choose not to be around people who don't want to see the world as connected because for me personally it's very draining. Yeah,
0: no, that's an that's incredibly good point and kind of... To wrap up the story, in the article, they mentioned the ethical debate that we've been having here in this situation. So I want to pass the debate off to you with the questions that they had provided. Is it a greater ethical burden to prevent someone from having the opportunity to be a father by passing along their genetic material? Or is it a greater ethical burden to have a man father a child without his consent that he wouldn't be around to raise?
1: I think both of those are ethical questions that none of us— Except for the person who is in question, in this case Peter, have the right to answer. It's only his ethical question because it is his body, his life, what he chooses to do. Everybody else can have an opinion on it, but it's not, I do not believe, our place to say.
0: That's, that's, I think that's a good wrap up for kind of what we have both kind of thought for this story is. You're totally in this story in general. We're allowed to have opinions on a story like this, but we don't know. We're not the people involved. We can't be the final sayer of this. And that's why I don't agree with what Justice CalAngelo said on, this is my final ruling. This is what, based on the evidence, I believe. I mean, we have no idea what Peter actually wanted. That's why I feel like it's very important that you know you have a will and that says, if Peter had a will that says, I don't want children or I do want children, we wouldn't have, be having this discussion right now because legally he would have said, hey, this is my decision after death. And that's why I feel like wills are so important. I don't know if you have a will. I do not. Maybe this will spur us to get it's and put together a It's all being left to you.
1: All oh, my fortunes, Adam. we <laughs> are going to you.
0: But I think it's important that maybe this is opening the door for people to actually sit down no matter what the age, no matter what the health condition and put down a will because you don't want to be in a situation like this where two people in the basement are discussing you after death and what your mm. family decided to do with your body. So maybe True. that's the premise for me or the final idea of me from the story is do your will people. You don't want to be in this situation. You want to be, you want your body after death to be respected. And I think that's The biggest thing, because respect is a huge thing for me, when I die, I want to be respected in a way that I would be happy with. If I came back to life for some reason, I would be happy with the way people treated me after my death. How
1: would you like to be? Do you want to be buried? Do you want to be cremated? What is there?
0: Originally, I wanted to be cremated, and once again, this is not a binding contract. It may change. I don't want people to be like, oh, yeah, you want to be cremated. I would like to be cremated, but I've also been hearing of this thing on you can, like, compost yourself. And I think that would be very interesting. I don't want to be—this is the one thing I know and I will always know. This is my—this is a binding will, is I do not want to be buried in a casket. I don't want my body to be buried in a casket.
1: I'm glad I know that. I'll remember that then. I I mean, knock on wood, I'll go before you because Mm -hmm. it would completely— shatter my yeah. heart if I ever had to bury you in any way but I appreciate you sharing that because I had no idea
0: yeah w- what about yourself?
1: I definitely would want to be cremated I love the idea of you talking about you can come back sustainable, if you will, as a tree or somehow being able to contribute. I don't care where I am because I'll be gone. What I care about is the people I left behind find comfort in knowing that I am at peace. So for me, I'm not one that finds peace or serenity in graveyards or cemeteries at all. I've never felt that the connection or spirit of people there except for other spirits obviously because of my spiritual gifts Mm -hmm. if you will i also do not like the idea of a casket at all i think it's a it's an interesting that's a whole other podcast, yeah. Adam. We could go on forever on that.
0: Well, that's. We had this discussion when Chris Bales came for his second time on the podcast, is like the aspect of death. And like the reason, one of the reasons I don't like a casket, because I feel like it's a binding close to your soul. Your soul's stuck in that casket for the remainder of eternity, where if you're. I don't, why did I? I almost said baptized. If you're cremated, or if you're compostable, or if you're just thrown into the bottom of the ocean at least your soul has the room to go wherever it needs to go That's kind of where I that's kind of what I see it. But then also the other aspect and what I mentioned that Chris Bale's podcast is it's totally okay if that's what you prefer. Just because it's not important to me doesn't mean it doesn't matter because people, once again, they have different perspectives on how they view the world and what lens they view the world with. And I think it's important that you're accepting in those things as long as they're a positive thing. But yeah, I think that was important in the Chris Bale's podcast is to say how we view death and why that matters and people view death and handle death in many different ways. You know, this family is handling death in a different way than I would handle death. And maybe that's why I'm putting a judgment on them because it's not something I would be comfortable with. But
1: what a gift. Think about this. Look at how much it got you thinking about all of how and I learned about what you want for your last wishes. And I would have guessed that anyhow, that you would have not wanted to be buried. Mm -hmm. But I think it brings up a different different thought process too even what you shared about of hey have a will and I mean I have my last wishes I need to update my will actually I even have songs picked out my perspective is that I've lost so many people and it's so painful when you're going through that I want to make it as easy as possible on the people that I leave behind so I think that is a way that you can or I could honor them
0: no that's that's very true Uh, Angie, I want to thank you for taking the time to come back and share your perspective about some of the strangest and most interesting news stories the world has to offer in a fun and meaningful discussion. Once again, listeners, you can connect with Angie on her website, www.angiecrousey.com, or by linking with her on LinkedIn under Angie Crousey. Angie, you are now part of the Two Timers Club on the podcast, not as exclusive as SNL's Five Timer, Uh, but what can you take away from this experience and potentially add or improve onto a podcast someone may want to start in the future?
1: What I love that you do, Adam, and that I admire so much is that you bring these really provocative stories to the table that most people, myself included, never hear of. And you allow me to go to a deeper level with myself and think about things and feel about things I've never even considered. And I grow because of that. And I feel like we have this opportunity where listeners get to then take their perspectives and it connects people. I feel like that that is what your podcast does. It connects instead of divides. And any format in this world that connects people, I am championing for like nobody's business. That
0: was very nice. Um, and as always, thank you to all my listeners for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk, the only such podcast on the internet, hosted by myself and guest hosted today by... Angie, where we take these strangest and most interesting real life news stories from around the world and just try to have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to reach out to the show with a strange local news story as Elena did today, uh, big thumbs up to Elena or big applause to Elena. I don't know what sounds better. Or if you just want to share some of your own comments, you can do so at watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com. Angie, you are part of the Two-Timers Club. You know how the show ends here. Angie, the floor is yours.
1: So if I was going to leave your listeners with anything, I would throw out an opportunity to go have a discussion with somebody that has a difference of opinion than you do. Going into that discussion open-hearted, willing to have your heart expand and your mind opened, And just see what you learn and then equally set the intention to share as openly, no righteousness at all, no judgment. Just remember that we're souls and we're connected and just to come together. And in fact, Adam, I think that's what being is all about to answer your question before, to just connect and be with each other
0: this is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world and while many of these stories may seem fake they're absolutely not because they're real hey 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 this is corrections corner uh as i mentioned in the episode i want you as a listener to view what I produce as a credible source because at the end of the day, I know you may not always have the time to double check what is said in an episode. And the whole concept I wanted of water cooler talk to be is to take what is being said during an episode to have an informed and productive conversation around the symbolic quotations on that water cooler of life, either, you know, talking with friends at a bar, talking with family around the dinner table, or talking to co-workers around a water cooler or a microwave or however uh, that dynamic may work. So hopefully this portion of the show will keep me to a higher standard in providing you a as credible source as possible. So? Let's jump into the corrections for this episode with Angie Krause. In the first story, I had mentioned the American Idol had a viewership of 14 million. Well, I was way off on that. At its height, American Idol had a viewership of 20 to 30 million people per season, with season 6, won by Jordan Sparks, having a viewership of 37 million. Also in that first story about vampire facials, Angie had mentioned a few different statistics related to how children as young as 7 believe they are valued more for their physical appearance over their character and that was sourced from theguardian.com. You can find it there. She also mentioned how women may react to being complimented and that can be sourced from inc.com. In our second story, Angie had mentioned an episode of Maria Shriver's podcast. That episode is titled "Father Greg Boyle Shares the Meaning of Radical Kinship." If you guys want to check out that episode, and then she also used the example from a Netflix documentary from Brene Brown called "The Call to Courage." If you guys want to watch that on your Netflix, and maybe even share your Netflix password with me—I don't know—it's it's your decision on that one. And then also in that portion of the story, Angie shared the quote: "If the only thing you did today was breathe, that would be enough." That quote is attributed to yumi shakugawa and the correct quote is sometimes it is okay if the only thing you did today was breathe and then to close out for our final third story i talked about reproductive cells wrongly stating sperm was a zygote sperm and eggs separately are actually gametes and a zygote is the combination of the two after fertilization. And then to finally wrap up the corrections for this episode, Angie asked how might someone go about retrieving sperm post-mortem? Uh, this is directly from the Wikipedia page about the process. No matter what your high school teachers say, Wikipedia is a pretty good source. I mean, they, they source down their sources, so I trust it. Anyways, this is what it said. Gametes have been extracted through a variety of means, including removal of the epidemis, irrigation, or aspiration of the vas deferens and rectal probe electrojaculation that sounds very interesting Uh, since the procedure is rarely performed however studies on the efficiency of the various methods have been fairly limited in scope so once again, thank you guys for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk. It has been such a freaking fun experience doing this show, and I'm so excited for you guys to see the new changes coming, and just the, just, just the process of trying to create the best possible show for you guys to enjoy. Uh, and hopefully the new format is something you guys do enjoy. Let me know. You guys know the email, watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com, or connecting with us on Facebook, Instagram, any of those social medias, and just letting us know what you think. But anyways, until next episode, Peace